Hey, what's good, people? This is episode 88 of the Option Podcast. Got my dude Cole Fears. Guess what? The episode starts right now. What's good, people? This is episode 88. This is the Option Podcast. I usually have a song that I sing to introduce my people, but this one, because it's this guy, I'm going to say, allow me to introduce myself. My name is Cole. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Cole oh, Fears, what's up, man? going on, Jason? Dude, I'm look. doing well. How are you? Oh, my God. Hey, long night, but no regrets. Got good genes, baby. <laughs> You're a great Faulkner out there killing it. Yes. Dude, he is the single most sought after coach for indoor on the beach. Like, whoever has really? him now, like, I just joined LA, LA Beach with um, um, Jason Olive and Dane Blanton. And, but I really think they got me to get Greg. <laughs> they like, if we get, if we get Jason, Greg will probably come with him. <laughs> Right on. <laughs> but sick. whoever his club coach is, they not letting him go for nothing. You know, he's the assistant no. at Northridge right now. You know, um, Cal Northridge and right and cool man. That's my dude. Look, uh, we definitely gonna talk about all of the people that helped me kind of get it in when I moved here, man. And all of you guys. Sure. And personality wise, it's no surprise that many of you are like minded. You know, I think you and Greg are, are personality wise as far as being chill and being um, That's very true. like how you treat everybody across the board. You know, it's kind of the same. Hagen, Hagen, you know, highly intense person, but really, you get to know him, good person, right? Chris Flood, yeah. Chris Flood, all about sharing the knowledge. Rob McLean, he's a little grouchy, but he's a nice dude too. Sure. So, um, yeah. so listen, before we got in the air, we we were talking about how much I like having pretty people on my podcast. I got a dude, ladies and gentlemen, watching the video version of this. I got a pretty person on my podcast, and we were talking about um, <laughs> who were we talking about? Tina Gradina. Um, yep, you, you thought it was right. Christina, right? But who's also uh -huh. a smoke show, right? But Tina Gradina, when she came on the podcast, I had people message me and say, "Dude, I didn't hear, I didn't hear a word she said." <laughs> hey, but it gets you more views, right? Yes. Actually, you know what? I'm I'm gonna go live for a few minutes as a teaser. See if anyone has any questions. We'll go live for a few minutes while we're talking. Oh, bring um, them on. All right, so this is the episode where I don't interrupt people and I'll let you talk for a change, all right? What, I guess the real question is, and it's not a question to you, uh, the, the real question is why volleyball? And it's probably not a question to you because I understand you come from a volleyball family, right? Sister right. was a four-year starter at Pepperdine, mother played, father played, um, the floor is yours. Why volleyball, man? What the hell? What's up with, what's up with this volleyball thing to an elite athlete? You chose this sport. Well, like you said, it was already in the blood of my family. So from the age of like three, that's when I learned how to pass volleyball. And then from then on, I was hooked. I mean, I watched my sisters play for like eight, ten years indoor. And I loved going to their tournaments. And I remember like some of my best memories are of my dad just like blasting balls at me in this like little hole in the gym, this little tiny corner. And, um, yeah, like any touches I could ever get, I was like, oh, I just want it, want it, want it. So it was the sport I loved most ever since I was a child, ever since like four years old. And I guess that's a little bit different than people who like can remember really falling in love with the sport. I just kind of knew I always loved it. And I always had this passion. And, 
And in fifth grade, we had to write this, uh, it was called a 10-year letter to our future self. Okay. And I remember getting it, and on there was, I had one goal, and that was to be a professional beach volleyball player. And that was it. And so that was my goal since I was like 10 years old. And I knew when I finished college, I was like, that's the path I'm going to take. So, yeah, that was my my passion for volleyball. How old were you again? I was 10 years old when I wrote that letter. Um, oh my God! Wow. But I learned how to play when I was about four from my dad. Oh my! Yeah, dude. So yeah. he was, yeah, he was instrumental in my passion for volleyball because of his. Like he has a very intense passion, especially for beach volleyball. But he learned when he was 22, mm-hmm. so he got the love for the game late in his life. Um, but he played with all the greats, Karch. Yeah, he got to play with Karch, uh, right? Yeah. He played against all those guys. He was just like a little bit one generation outside of their time. Um, and, and that's Pierce, yeah. right? Pierce, Fears? Pier- oh, it's Fierce or Fears. He played at um, Pierce, right, Pierce though? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And your yeah. father's Bill. Bill Fears. Okay. <laughs> oh, William, yes. whatever. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I ain't going to call him Billy Ray. Yeah. I don't know him that well. <laughs> What's yeah, up, Billy call Ray? Billy. <laughs> call him well. Call him William. <laughs> I'll take them all. That's right. Cool, man. So I, you did a lot uh, cutting your teeth at Palos Verdes. You got a lot of, um, um and, and of course, playing club ball at SCVC. Um, you won gold twice. You were you're as a, yes. the, the position of setter, right? Um, dude, yeah, I said- Hey, if there's anything I can't stand is left-handed setters. It's just y'all, y'all just a pain in the ass. <laughs> you can't stand them, but they're the greatest. I don't know. And I happen to be one. <laughs> That's both. right. That's right. Yeah, I, I, I was an outside hitter and then changed, changed later to a setter. I played outside hitter in Germany, and when I came back, um, six. Right on. Um, uh, you're a little taller than me, but my wingspan's six eight, so we, we kind of had a lot, a lot of fun. Um, so. Wow. You as a setter, I wound up going to Stanford, right? You did you redshirt? What did you redshirt one year and you played a one year? Is that how, how what you did? So we could go into the. I'm more than willing to talk about like my whole Stanford career. Do it. Um, but that's more <laughs> than just volleyball. Okay. Well, of course, yeah. student a student comes before the student athlete when you're at Stanford, right? I mean, For sure. yeah, so yeah. you got, you have that decision to make too, right? So you want to talk, oh, yeah. I, want I to talk really about it a little bit? I'll, I'll give you the brief, brief version. Um, I really only played two pre-seasons at Stanford and not even a full one the first year I was there. Um, I remember coming into Stanford, I was already slowly starting to burn out of the sport. Like it was a lot of pressure. Um, from like my 15th year through my 18th year of playing club volleyball, I felt this like really intense pressure to perform and we were always ranked number one. So we were always trying to keep this high level rank. And I think that just wore down on me over time. So when I finally got there, I was like, I don't know. I, I still like enjoy the game, but I don't have like that drive to play division one volleyball. Um, but that was just a piece of it. I was. I don't want to use the word plagued, but I'm going to by mental health problems through like my entire career at Stanford and not just through volleyball, but academically as well. Um, 
in like 2016, I was diagnosed bipolar. So that's like the, I would say I'm starting at the end of like the mental health experience. And then if you backtrack to when I started at Stanford in 2013, I was completely unaware of any mental health problems that I had. Um, and in that first year, I was only at Stanford for about a month. So I arrived in September, late September, left before Halloween. So late November. So that was my first experience playing on Stanford men's volleyball team and attending Stanford. Um, I just went into like a pretty heavy depression for like three weeks. I wouldn't leave my room. And um, yeah, so that was my first experience arriving at Stanford. And then I went home and then I was home for like a full year. Uh, still was playing volleyball here and there and started to get like a better grasp on my mental health, started seeing a therapist, um, came back to Stanford the next year, 2014, started playing on the team. And I was like, you know what? This really isn't for me anymore. Like, I don't feel like I even want to really set on this team or play. And I was like, the best place for me is just to focus on school. Like, I'm not going to pursue indoor volleyball. I really just want to focus on beach anyways. Um, so, yeah, I just said, I'm done with the team. I'm just going to do school. And I did really well. 2014 into 2015, had great grades. Had a group, my best year at Stanford and my smoothest mental health year. Let and me, then moving on from that, it was just up and down. Like, before, really, really up and down. Before I talk about the level of commitment that it takes to play a Division One sport, um, because I've said it on previous episodes and I'll probably get into it a, a little bit again for first time listeners and for people that listened before or whatever, you know, I promise I'll shut up later. But before I actually get into that, I want to ask you a question about bipolar disorder. Is, is this something, cause I always joke around about it. Like people ask me if I'm bi bipolar and I'm like, no, but I'll try anything once, you know, cause I, cause yeah. I don't know shit about yeah. it. Right. So, um, is it something that you have to see someone and you get diagnosed? But is, is it something that you self-diagnose and say, I'm pretty sure I'm bipolar, I need to see somebody about it? How does, um, is there, I guess the question I'm trying to ask is, is there a psychological awareness of someone, uh, of, of someone who's bipolar that they're bipolar? Uh, it's, it's a, is it a tricky fucking thing, <laughs> you know? Super tricky. And I'm glad you asked that question because there's a common misconception where if you're a very, like, booty person, like, you get, like, triggered easily or you're yeah. more irritable, mm -hmm. you'll be like, oh, I'm bipolar. Yeah. Which, four times the not, that is not the case. Um, to be classified as bipolar, you have to have had at least one, what's called a manic episode, at least one manic episode. And then generally there's also a depressive episode with that and mania meaning it's a very elevated mood state um where you have like an endless amount of energy you're usually highly irritable um but you're performing at like 120 percent of what like your normal capacity would be which it sounds great like oh that would be great which and it feels great when you're in those mental states but it's what happens when they get too high you can lose sense of like reality and then be in like a whole nother world. So when people say like, oh, I'm bipolar, I'm like, well, maybe you could be, but yes, you do need someone to diagnose you with that. That's important. You can't just like self-proclaim like, oh, I'm bipolar. Like yeah. that's not really 
how it works. No, I mean, yeah, but someone comes up to me. Hey, I, hey Jason, what? <laughs> no, just, I yeah. mean, no, right? Come on. No, right. it's, I'm glad you're opening up about this because this is important for juniors players um, who are for suffering, sure. uh, uh, maybe not medically diagnosed as bipolar but we're talking about similar things on that streamline where they're just depressed or where the the um the quantitative amount of training and volleyball in their life could be overwhelming um yeah. I, don't, I don't like to use my wife too much as an example because she's very introverted but you know when she went to harvard right she, to her credit and to her psychological maturity she knew this wasn't what she wanted to do 11 months out of the year, you know? Right. For everybody listening at home, this isn't like a preseason, a non-traditional season, and then, then then that's a wrap. It is, and Cole will be the, be the first one to co-sign. It is a 10-month, almost 10-and-a-half-month out of your 12-month experience. And, yeah, it is. And for some people who are neck deep in it and and kind of won it all at that time at the, and at that level, uh, quantitatively, right? right? Sure. Like if it's if it's me, what I get to do this? <laughs> yeah. I, get, I get to do this to twelve months out of the year. I mean, look, I I didn't experience that because I only played one year of college, uh, uh, right? Uh, uh, before and after pro, um, I played for an army team. Then I played for a college team at Hunter College. D, uh, they were D three, but they had a right D one schedule. Princeton and all those guys and Rutgers was <laughs> Final Four, and but. I came right after I left the army, so I didn't have to do all that preseason and the non-traditional whatever. I just walked on the court and I'm like, you know, how can oh, I be wow. part of this team? And and and, right. and the coach looked at me. He's like, you got sneakers, you know, get changed. And I'm sitting there <laughs> getting changed. I'm literally getting changed. And and he's like, could you not get changed here? Yes, sir. <laughs> you know, because so, oh, when you see, listen, when we when we're infected by the volley virus, you right, you're. You're holding your girlfriend's yeah. hand. You're walking towards the beach, and all of a sudden, you start walking faster, and you realize you didn't even let go of your girlfriend's hand. <laughs> so, yeah, I know. Yeah, so, for sure. Yeah, I got changed. Um, they were doing hidden lines. I took like two swings, and I made the team. <laughs> and everybody else, everybody else who thought they were playing oppo was like, "Oh, like, where did this no. fucker come from, man?" You know. So <laughs> good team, though. I mean, the guy. Um, uh, the best player on my team holds the record for most kills in a match. He's 61 for 98. Greg Romulus, oh. uh, a Creole player. Um, um, uh, one of the Haitian guys. He's Rudy's kid brother, man. He's a really good player, man. 61 for 98. Five errors. Tight. 61 att uh, kills for 98 attempts? Yeah, five errors. Yeah. What? Yeah, it was the Greg show, dude. It, there was nobody else that could hit, and, and he hit everywhere. Dug out of the pipe, hit two balls out of the pipe. Didn't even bother running a bit because everyone knew where it was going anyway. So he's like, if I, right. if they know it's coming to me, give me a little bit of timing and extension, you know. And it was against Roger wow. Roger Williams, who was a pretty respectable university, and a match we lost. We lost on and made Sports Illustrated too. He was like, you wow. lost. Yeah, we lost. <laughs> I Dang. didn't play. I, I didn't play. I was at church. My mother made me go to church. So, you know, it's weird. I'm, yeah, just anyway. Not, not See see what yeah. happens when I start talking about me. God damn uh -huh. it. Um, but I guess the point I was trying to make when we, we were talking about depression and bipolar being a real thing right. uh, was that the level of commitment, it was so important that you say that because this the level of commitment is not for everybody. And some kids going in don't realize it until they get there. Or, or until it's over. They put themselves through four years of hell and it's like, God damn it, I wish I didn't do that <laughs> to myself. Yeah, sure. You know, and for the kids who who kind of won it all and are able to compartmentalize, you know, 
uh, being a student and a student athlete and this and that, like, dude, like you not being on that team was great for your grades. For sure. Yeah. yeah. All my focus was, well, most of my focus was towards academics. Yes. Uh, yeah. But it, it opened doors to the social scene at Stanford, yeah. which was like really hard for me to stay away from. Um, so that I definitely got caught up in that a little bit. But um, that's college. Yeah. It relieves so much pressure not playing volleyball. Mm -hmm. And what I see now from kids in high school is their parents, their coaches are like pushing so hard for them to perform well in their sport. And they're almost adopting their mentality of like, oh, like I have to be the best. I want to be the best. But it's not even their own thought process. And then they get into college and they still pursue that. But they don't have that realization of like, oh, wait, I didn't want that until, like you said, they're done. And they're like, oh, I, I actually did want to study this, but I didn't because I didn't have enough time because of my sport. And it's just it's unhealthy. And it's, it's becoming more common in more athletes. Yeah. Whether they're like first beginning the sport or like they're at the elite level. And um yeah, I and, wish. Yeah, and that happened to you before you even got to Stanford, right? I mean, you're 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 doing a club, you know. SCVC is a commitment. They practice more days a week than any club that I knew. Um, you know, I'm I'm coaching Evolution right now. Um, right. Then you you're at Palisades, which is which at the time uh, st probably still a competitive school. So even in your high school life, you're trying you're trying to maybe balance some beach too. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it, it already was, you know, I mean, it's, it's very easy to, to go into college already kind of like, damn, I'm, I'm just exhausted. <laughs> do you know yeah. what my ex told me? She said, if you want to get your college degree, you have to go to a school that doesn't have a team. So, and she's right. I dropped out. I went to Marymount Manhattan. I auditioned uh, for their theater program guide in and, Right kind of put volleyball on the shelf, kind of, you know, I mean, I did a yeah. bunch of shows. Yeah, but I mean, instead of head coaching in a, a team, I was assistant coaching, you know, like Baruch College. My boys right. at Baruch, I assisted him. As soon as I graduated, right. I was head coach at City College, um, um, CCNY, City Tech, helped, helped them build their program, John Jay. So I was, I ended up coaching NCAA for like 12 years, but, and for it sure. seemed like it's so it's such a weird feeling that you I think you can co-sign that it seems like such a waste of time. But at the same time, the people that you made friends with and the camaraderie, like if you didn't do that, you wouldn't have met those wonderful people either. So there, there's that, too. Right. I mean, oh, I totally feel what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. Even like the connections I made on the Stanford men's volleyball team. I made really great friends, like right from when I first started on the team. And then the next year when I was on it, even for just two months. Yeah. And um, I still love the sport of volleyball. Mm -hmm. I just didn't love playing indoor volleyball anymore. Um, so we still shared that passion. And those were my best friends, like still players on the team. Like, yeah, those are the guys I wanted to hang out with. And it worked. It wasn't like there's this weird, like, oh, you're not on the team anymore. You were on the team and you left. It was just we were people. So it's not like being put in those situations or going to Stanford to play men's volleyball. Like that was completely erased. Um, it wasn't just a negative experience, I guess is what I'm trying to say. No, I still built relationships that I carry through today. Yeah. The, and, the uh, other setter, right? Stavert leak, um, Bob's kid. Yeah. Joe. Um, yeah. Joe. Yeah. Pretty good, pretty good personality, pretty good player too. Right. 
Yes. So the funny story there was when I came in, he was a year ahead of me. And um, so we had three setters. It was me, Joseph Ehrlich, and James Shaw. And James was, I believe, the same class as Joe. Um, so Joe was sitting underneath James and was like, well, I'm never going to play, really, unless James gets hurt. And then I was sitting underneath both of them like, okay, well, at least they're a year ahead of me. So I'll get a year at some point or I'll play with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but then Joe quit and then I left the team. So it left Stanford with James and then James got hurt. No. <laughs> so then it was like, oh, there's no setter on the team anymore. It was, it was really the perfect storm. Mm-hmm. And, um, Stanford struggled the next two years not having a setter. They didn't have, like, uh, I don't know if you heard of Kyle D'Agostino. He's playing on, I believe he's on the national team right now, playing as Libero. But he stepped in and set at 5'9", 5'10". So when he was setting out the front row, it was just like, Every single set. It's open over season. Him. Yeah. The, the, I mean, the yeah. guy wasn't doing box jumping in the off season. <laughs> no, he, he's doing, no. he's doing sand dune digging. <laughs> oh yeah. That's right. That's right. So um, God bless. So good for you in a sense that you made what I call lead decision to take your talents to the beach, you know, LeBron to yeah. South beach, yours to South Bay. Right. Um, that's right. At an early age. Because there are a lot of players that we know that, man, they're indoor for so long. It's like by the time they get to the beach, it's like, did I get out too late? Did the wheels fall off? You know what I'm saying? Like when you when you met yeah. me, when you met me, I was 46. I was already right. I was already done. Uh, for me, I was just trying to hang out with people that would um, help me understand the intricacies of just like beach volleyball defense. Um, indoor blocking versus beach blocking. I mean, I played beach, you know, in New York, they used me as a, I was kind of an elite athlete. So they used me as, um, as a body to prepare for tournaments. And I used them to help prepare for indoor because I always right. played beach and I indoor, I would come, I would come back indoor like the best blocker and the best digger, you know, and serve That's the right. space, you know, serve the space too. So, oh, for sure. so, um, it was you, a pretty good group. It was you, Hagen Smith, Greg Faulkner, Chris Flood, Rob, Rob McLean, and myself. Yeah, Just right. six that was- guys that I, I nicknamed this group the co-op because none of us were coaches. <laughs> right? None of us were coaches. But I said, look, let's just if someone has a drill, you bring it in, but but you gotta run the drill. That's right. And Faulkner was yep. the one. Faulkner was the one that had the most fun on the drills. And me, For I brought sure. a lot of indoor blocking drills that I thought would make you guys better outdoor blockers. Like the four, I call right. it the four point middle blocker drill. Like, um, yeah, re, first one's redirect. Second one, nobody up. Third one, got to step back free, you know, and oh, then, yeah. then run a back set. And then the last <laughs> one, joust, like be second, you know? So uh-huh. that was really, really cool. And I thought Flood, bang, uh, Chris Flood banged that out. But um, so... I guess I'm trying to do this chronologically because it's you and Hagen Smith, right? You guys decide to partner up. And let's yep. talk about the NVL at World Series of Volleyball. I love that tournament. It, I'm going to give you the floor because I want to set the stage. So World Series of Beach, they got the countries playing against each other like FIVB, but NVL is co-promoting like a domestic thing. And oh, yeah. for everybody that thought 
the NVL was like the easier tournament, really needed to go take a look. Because the, the, the way you guys, I followed you guys all the way through the qualifier to the draw. Yeah. It was, yeah. you guys have a gas tank, man. You do, oh, you two had early. a gas tank, man. Oh, yeah. How many, okay, I'm gonna give, here's why I'm gonna give yeah. you the floor. How, how many teams that you beat because you, you were just in better shape and you outlasted them? It was humid as, uh, humid as fuck. Every single team we played, it was outlast. Um, and Hagen and I were attacking, like hitting hard. Yes. Like, <laughs> every single ball. We weren't shooting. No, we were you were the, you guys were like the Dutch. They were just yep. every, hit everything. <laughs> yeah. And uh, that day, like, I remember the, like, it was about 85 degrees. The sand was around like 95 to like 100. Yep. And um, you get that like dust, like that Long Beach that dust. That Long Beach. The guys were wearing face masks. Yes. Because the dust was so strong. Yep. And um, this is 2017, ladies and gentlemen, but go ahead. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just remember our first match, like the three seed in the qualifier, and we like absolutely like slaughtered them. Yeah. It was like 21, like 15, 21, like 16. And yeah. uh, I, I guess the scoreboard doesn't look like we we did handle that team, and they were shocked. Yeah. Like we came out and we were just attacking, yep. and they had no idea what to do. It and was jealous kind of how the someone else. Turned. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And um, I always remember thinking, about, I was like, I wonder if like Sinjin was there that day because he was working at the World Series Beach Tournament, and he'd watch us play. I was like, I wonder if coach us at all like give us like a little bit of like feedback here or there and i realized that day that the feedback sinjin will give you will be very minimal but extremely effective yeah and we were if we fast forward to the last match of the day that we were playing we were playing a very good team but they were gassed and they i forget what their big what his name was he was six nine he had kind of like reddish hair and we were serving the little guy and he was just siding out, siding out, siding out. And then finally Sinjin was like, you guys haven't served the big guy yet. And we're like, okay. And lo and behold, he was out of gas. And I remember being down 14 to 10 in the third set. And Hagen, I remember looking at him and it was his serving. He went back to the line. He was like, we're going to win this match full. He went back there and just blasted like four aces in a row. The big guy makes an air, and then we transitioned and won the match. And I was like, wow. Shoot. Like, to yeah. win that 14-10 is in like the last game to get into the tournament. That that was a good win. Yeah, that was a really good win. I, the thing I liked about what you said about Sinjin is one of the single most important things I learned about beach volleyball. Um, if you're if you're coaching someone in a tournament, less is more. Less yeah. is more. Like piling information in someone's head is a practice thing. It is a, maybe a maybe a two nights a one night before thing, you know. But right. it's it's part of the reason like why I like FIVB. There's no coaches in the box. You just I mean less less is more. And there's nothing you're gonna say that that can't wait till the match is over unless it was right. something Sinjin said like you know what you might wanna <laughs> might wanna serve the big dude yeah um so the other so. 
that's one of the, the the most important things I learned from Sinjin. And for everybody listening at home, the, why, uh, the reason why we even brought up Sinjin Smith, the volleyball legend, um, Hagen Smith, the guy that Cole played with, Hagen is uh, Sinjin's son. So um, Hagen, four-year uh, player at UCLA that ran a 6-2. He was a setter and, um, you know, got it in a little bit as an outside hitter, right? It was him and uh, Micah Maha. Um, That's right. Yeah. Misery is a good player, too. Misery's out of New York, Sacom High School. Um, okay. New York. So, I, I mean, I knew about him you know before ucla they were that, yeah. was, that was the best high school and i was coaching high school but we never got to playing because they played in the fall their boys season okay. was in the fall where like everybody else in the world was in the spring so right so, that's um, interesting huh so you guys ended up finishing ninth and and uh which doesn't okay. seem like everybody's like ninth good for you what the hell but it's like dude this like 74 teams <laughs> it's yeah that was <laughs> That was the first ever professional tournament we played in or tried to play in. Yeah. Um, so that was the first time we ever qualified for either of us, yep. which was pretty exciting. And I remember that next day we were pretty gassed. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Oh, that was the tournament. So if you, that's a good story. So when you qualify for a professional tournament, you have to have matching shorts the next day. Um, but we didn't leave Long Beach till like 9 p.m. So we were very limited of where we could go. So we went to Target and we found these cat shorts that had like <laughs> little tiny cats printed all over them. And um, every tournament we played in from that one, we would wear those cat shorts. And they, I don't know, I just thought that was a fun experience that we had. And people loved them too. Oh my. Yeah. They'd always comment on our cat shorts. Yeah. I was, um, well, the only reason I, I was there, I was covering it for, uh, you know, I was working with Andrew July for uh, volleyball right. one-on-one and Andrew's like, okay, you got to get me interviews with the top players. And I'm like, all right, cool. You know, so, yep. and pretty, I mean, God, look, it's 2021. And as far as being comfortable in my own skin, like in so many ways I got, I have arrived as far as what I need to know right. about beach volleyball. I mean, John, a year with John Mayer at LMU, you know, coaching Earl and Jake into the draw, doing analytics for Rafu, who eventually won the AVP. So I yep. knew whatever, what I lacked in knowledge about the intricacies of beach, I made up uh, just knowing how to win. I'm, I'm, I am, I'm not saying I'm a really smart dude, but I'm an above average kid from, from Brooklyn, which is, right. which is pretty fucking good. So, yeah. so, but, so many embarrassing moments on the road too and the and the reason why i'm even bringing this up world series of beach i was trying to get an interview with mike dot right and then uh -huh. someone pointed him out like mike's over there but they pointed out mike dot but there was a guy standing in front of him that was just as tall in fact taller he looked a little uh -huh. bit on the heavy side and i haven't seen mike dot since like 1993 you know new york and Central. right you know uh, they did a, Ma a madison square garden beach volleyball at, at the garden yeah and i'm like okay he's got a little heavy you know this and that and the guy's name was mike so when i called him uh -oh. so i'm doing this interview with mike who's right. not dodd and and everybody <laughs> behind me is like this fucking dude's a schmuck he doesn't even know what and to make matters worse the real mike dodd is behind him Oh. And he was going to say something. He goes, and just goes, <laughs> just forget about yeah. it. So if I had to do like a five top embarrassing moments on my path to, to what, right. I, to what I, I have become and continue to become, um, man, that's number, that's number one. I didn't yeah, know I my dog was. <laughs> so, so 
I think it's what I'm trying to say, the whole point of this, to bring it back full circle, like it's okay to laugh at yourself. It's okay to come into a situation green when you bring other things to the table. You guys made the draw because you have a winner's mentality. Yeah. You used your power to set up your shot. And when some people, you know, they jump for power and they set it, they use their shot to set up power. No, you guys went power, power right away. And I think, in fact, in many ways, you just stayed power. You Like you said, you hit the whole tournament. He never shot. No. I think I hit like, I hit like three shots that whole tournament. Yeah. And the option, too. Power. The, op- the option was power. power. <laughs> just clack, 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 clack. So what was your first main draw? Was it with Hagen or was it with uh, Andy? That was with Andy in San Francisco. We actually all qualified for the first time on the AVP. That was there. great. Divide and conquer, right? I saw it. Yeah, that's right. Because Hagen qualified with Lucas. Yep. And then I qualified with Andy. And the cool story there was we mostly just trained with each other for like all the preseason um, up until like the first Huntington AVP. Okay. And... Okay. I don't know. It was just fun to develop this like bond between four players, not just you and your partner, where our training sessions got really high level because like the focus and then how competitive we were with each other. It was some of the best training I got on the beach. Um, Just to like recreate that is difficult to do. And yeah, wow. When we all qualified, that was that was really fun. Because it was so cool because Yoder was part of that class of you guys, you know, when you guys are all in college at the same time, whether you played or not. Cole was with yep. y'all. Um, you're Cole, sorry. Um, Yoder was with you guys. Like, Smith was with you guys. Banesh, I, I think, was after, uh, a, a little bit uh, after, or same time. He was the same year. We were yeah. all the same Was year. he USC? He went to SC, yeah. So it's SC, UCLA, and, Stanford. So Lucas <laughs> played with Andy. They were yes. together at SC. Yeah. That's so cool. USC, USC, UCLA, and Stanford. And just like um, NVL, like World Series of Beach, you had to beat like a – you guys beat the one. You beat Budinger, I think. You had to beat the one first round. Or you had to oh. do a play-in game, and then you had to beat the one. Are you, So you're talking about the AVP San Francisco? San Francisco. You, you had a play-in we, game, and then second round, the you had to play the one. We drew um, uh, Billy Fred- Allen and Ryan Dort. That was Oh, our that's for the draw. Pass. No, I'm talking about the qualifier. Oh, the qualifier. You, you had to out the one. It was crazy, dude. Yes. That, no, that was Kyle Friend and Miles. And Miles, yeah, Michael Tatia. That was our first match. That's who we drew first. And then we, I remember, I think, yeah, we beat them pretty good in that match, too. I remember it being like 21, it was like 21-18, 21-15, and Andy got like 10 blocks. Like was like unstoppable in that game. I was like, pretty. that's what we needed to beat them. I'm actually I'm actually were, looking it up right now because that's the cool thing about this computer. But go ahead. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah. first game was 24-22 and then 17. You had, yeah. to, you had to beat Porter and Porter. Uh, yeah, friend of Michael Tatia, Drake and Van Rees, and then TK and uh, Tony Prey. Yeah, they, TK and Tony, they were gassed in that last one. Yeah, they were pretty – because their one before it was a pretty heavy match. But Then, then Allen and Dougherty in the draw. Oh, my God. Yeah. And then we, yeah, then we drew Allen and Dougherty. <laughs> yeah. That was fun playing them. Just like that 
his like Dowdy's block. He just he's learned how to press low, like he doesn't really try to take up like above you too much. And I wasn't experienced of getting like wrapped into a block like that. Like it just felt like he was covering the ball, and um, that's you know that's just adjusting to that level of play. Like once you get out of that qualifier, you hit that next tier. That if you're not getting the training with those guys, it's, I mean, you're you're having to adjust on the fly. Like that first match you play against them, it's like, okay, is your game gonna rise up to that level or at the level you're playing at? In fall? I don't think we, I don't think I did personally in that match against them. Right. I think Andy was finding the groove as the match went on, and uh, yeah. But it was exciting just to be there, just to play those teams. I no, mean, no doubt. Yeah, that was great. Um, actually, I had a series of volleyball questions in that regard. We definitely want to talk about CPA before you leave, okay? Um, okay. Because that's that's the real deal with a bunch of no nonsense people and and great personalities sure. and and highly intelligent people that I, I wanted to um to get at the end so people understand, you know, all of this is is leading to this, and which is. Which is another stop in your life, but it it's it, it's it's like a oh, rest, yeah. it's like a restaurant stop, you know. So, uh-huh. so um, where is it? At what point? I I wanted to go back. At what point, like in your childhood or or club or or high school, was there a particular match, or was there a particular tournament, um, that you left the tournament saying, "I think I could do this for a living." Actually, yeah, there's one that comes to mind immediately. It was a uh, 16-and-under AAU beach volleyball tournament in Hermosa. So had all the best kids in our age group playing. And um, I was still – maybe it was 15-and-under because I was still, like, around, like, 5'9", like, 5'10", maybe. So shorter player playing on the 8-foot net. But I had just gotten – the ability to attack effectively like down over the net over the eight net and um i had like one of the best tournaments of my life at least for my youth and we ended up winning the tournament and i was at that point i believed in myself that i was like i could be the best in in the sport um or i i believed that i was the best for my age division at that time because that was the toughest tournament you could play in, in southern california yeah, the and I don't. It was a really big turning point in my confidence of, oh, I am good enough to compete at the highest levels and succeed. And um, yeah, definitely, my I, I felt like a extreme upward trend in my volleyball career at that time, both indoor and beach. Yeah, that was a good year, man. Well. It's a, it's a critical year because 15 and 16, right, is the first time you're playing on an eight-foot net, right? I think 14. Uh, 14 is, I think, the jump. Yeah, right. once you go to 15 and under, that'll be the first time you play on the eight-foot net. Yeah. Like right now I'm coaching Correct. 17s, and I got I got two 15s playing on my 17s. So, so, you know, this year my team's a little bit weak, but honestly – like, oh my God, I get to do I get to do some real work, you know. Like when Duncan Avery told oh, me, he's like, Duncan Avery's like, he's like, hey, I got bad news. Like your team's not as strong as you were as they were the last couple of years. And I'm like, what's the bad news? You know, right. <laughs> what was yeah. the what was the bad news again? I get to do some real work because I had one team sure. that I could make great. That was my first year. 
They ended up being fifth right. in the country. We we took down Cincy Attack in Ohio. Uh-huh. So, um, and then the next year, I really just had to play glorified babysitter and make sure they didn't beat themselves. <laughs> you know, just manage personalities. Right. Almost an adult team. You know, except they're oh, kids. Yeah. You just have I've to. Had that team you just before. have to. You, yeah, you just got to conquer them demons from the neck up, and you're good. You ain't got to fine tune yeah. them. And nothing that their high school coaches aren't like. South had a good team. Mira always has a right. good team. And all of my kids are, all of my kids basically for everybody listening are the kids that didn't make the Redondo Varsity team, and and a mixture right. JV and Frosh, which is still savage. Yeah. <laughs> you know they got to play yeah, somewhere, so so play for me. Um, but we ended up beating a lot of good teams. We ended up beating a lot of varsity teams. And to take a team that's 41st in California and finish fifth in the country, you know, I mean, is a testament to the ki- the work the kids put in and me living in a video room like a hermit, you know? You, Duncan, For sure. Duncan Avery's like, dude, you're my best coach. Good night. You know, I'm like, okay. <laughs> but um, I want to talk about another good year. Sorry, go ahead. You're going to say something. Oh, no. Okay. 2018 I- was another good year. That was the year you and Banesh uh, qualified for the draw twice. Uh, I believe you did so in her San Francisco and either Hermosa Beach or, her, or Manhattan. We qualified in Hermosa. Right. Yeah. Good place to qualify, dude. Right. One year, one year removed from coming back. I mean, right. I mean, 2017 was the first year back in a long time. Um, yeah. I actually have some video footage of you and Hagen playing on um, Bruno and um, Oz. Um, I was going to put up later because we were talking because I knew sooner or later we we're going to talk about Hagen. So I set up hi- a highlight reel, just like one or two highlights of um, in fact, what the hell. Let's just put it up now while we're talking all this shit. Why not? So um, I really like this kid, man. So let's this is one of my favorite plays. I think this I is know a great rally. You yeah. guys are splitting block, you're, you're, uh, but you're at the He's going right to dig now. another high line here. Yes. Yep. Wow. <laughs> Watch this. Holy shit. It's the first ball he didn't take a swing at. It's like, yes. Right? <laughs> oh, he's so jacked. That was so playing with Hagen, like the energy he puts out and like how competitive he is. It's so fun. He gets like so like pumped up mm-hmm. for good plays and like, yeah, you just feed off of it. Um, yeah, and he's fun to watch because of it. That's for sure. Yeah, and uh, yeah, we had a really good connection, Hagen and I. We played really well together. I just uh, think it's so weird because you watch some people play. I'll give you John Mayer as an example. This this guy, this skinny dude, uses the least amount of energy for our maximum results in every tournament, and it looks like he's not even. It didn't. You didn't even poke a needle in his gas tank. And then you, I watch. I watched you and Hagen play, and it looks like every single play was 110 percent balls out. And I'm like, nobody's gonna make it through a whole tournament like that. And then <laughs> at the end of the tournament, y'all are still there. So um, so yeah. it, it, I called you guys the gas tank team, man. It was just the level of energy. Uh, and that, by the way, that play I just showed you they had match point on the freeze i think it was 2017 and you had to get three you had to get three just to tie that up 20 up so so uh, against a good team i was like oz and bruno ended up making the draw that year and then um right and then bruno had blisters you want to remember we were talking about the sand man he had blisters his his feet look like starting to look like roast beef man it was crazy (laughs) gnarly yeah it's just i I mean oz's feet survived that because he's been practicing he lives in hermosa also he's you know he's from cuba so they 
No, they play barefoot uh, on the concrete if you if you let them. So, um, uh, so I was gonna get into different kinds of partners. So, your best hmm. condition partner, who was it? My best condition partner, yeah. Like, cardio wise conditioning. I guess the whole package. Oh, you want to know my best partner? The All part, the, way around. the partner that you that you played with that was the best condition when you played on the beach, or, or, or playing uh, only uh, for beach. That, that would be uh, Andy for sure. Andy, like Andy was the best partner that I had, strongest partner that I had. Yes. No best condition. Oh, like physical condition. Yeah. Uh, oof. Well, would you say uh, it was between, probably between Hagen and Andy, right? No, it was between Hagen and Eric. If you're talking about conditioning. Oh, Baranek. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would have. To, I didn't play with Eric long enough to really like feel out where his conditioning was. I would say or Hagen. Okay. For sure. Yeah. But you're talking about like physical condition. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yes, it would be Hagen. Actually, I got an idea. Let but me... best overall partner would be Andy. Yeah. Andy. Yes. Who is the most laid back partner you you played with on the tour? Um, and 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 or on the tour on um uh, on a CBVA, let's say CBVA, oh. let's say travel to Texas, let's say AVP. Who's the most laid back partner? Oh. I would, I would say me, ah! um, but, oh, I would say, um, Christian Honer was super laid back. Like, unless you like really got under his skin, he would get like angry, but overall he would have to be the most like positive energy and like cool and collected throughout. Right. Cool. Who is yeah. who? Which partner did you play was the most wound tight? <laughs> wound tight. Oof. They're probably not going to like this one. Um, <laughs> it would have to be someone that I was trying to like console. I didn't really choose a lot of partners that were wound tight. You know, the one that comes to mind is Jorge um, Martinez. Yeah, Jorge Martinez. Okay. I remember he could get just but that was just his banter like he would he loved banter um but it would also work against him sometimes where it would be he would get so caught up into it mentally he would break down a little bit i think um but yeah i, I didn't have a lot of partners that i felt like they were super wound tight i would choose partners that i liked and that like i got along with well so generally they were not really like wound up I mean, if you can think of anyone I played with that might be like that, no. by all means. But no, it's, I, a, it's a good question because in, on the beach, you you get to choose your partner. You know. Yeah. You get you to do. you get to choose your partner. Like, um, and sixes sometimes there's always going to be one, right? There's always going to be some diva outside hitter who needs a perfect set for a mediocre swing, or there's always going to be like a libero who insists on taking half the court but can't. He's not that good a serve receiver, right? <laughs> so, but sure. but doubles, man. Oh my God! So 
Hey, for the people watching the video version, apologies because uh, of COVID. I've been teching my own show. Like the person, Miranda, who's Rob's girlfriend, is Hi. she's my yep. sound engineer. She's the one that learned how to become a sound engineer, and she's been teching my show and coming up with the highlights. And like any article we talk about, she pulls up right. the articles. So for me to kind of like do all this by myself, I've been doing it, but it holds on by a thread. So uh, for everybody right. watching the video version, thanks. We get to see this guy's handsome face in and out, but we get to see it. Um, I like it. So you played with Eric in Chicago. Yes, correct. I did. <laughs> is he the guy yeah. you had the most fun playing with, or is Eric is is is, is Andy the uh, just as fun? Uh, see, I have a very as far small as like having a good time on the court. Okay. Um, I had the best time with Hagen actually on the court. Okay. <clears throat> and then. Eric was like the best communicator I played with. He had a game plan for every point and it just felt like he created this sense of confidence between us. That was like, we're going to have our game plan. We're going to execute our game plan and we're going to win. And that's how the, the whole day went through the qualifier. I was never felt like really anxious while I was playing. Um, and I never felt like it was in a position that the like matches or games were slipping away, even when we were losing. Um, the qualifier, it was, yeah, it went very smoothly. We were never in a situation where we were down like a match point. Um, I always felt in control playing with Eric through the qualifier. The main draw was, that's a good story, but it's a whole nother animal. Um, of course. Well, he's been a, a hitman for hire like that entire time, right? I think he qualified for the draw seven times with eight different partners, you know? So he's been yeah. he's been the hitman for hire, you know? And Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because um, I've said this before on previous episodes. I'm more of a fan of the sport than I am of particular players. I'm a purist like that. You know, very right. much, very much like mixed martial arts. I'm a big mixed martial arts fan. And um, mm -hmm. and sometimes you, I really, the, I don't pick a winner. You know, I mean, sometimes I pick a winner, but the winner is me because I get to watch it. But I'm right. a, with that being said, I'm a fan of Eric. There's, he's an indiv individual player that I, I fucking follow. And, and yeah. because he wears his heart on his sleeve and he takes the fans on the journey with him. You know, he leaves yes. himself vulnerable like that um, because yes, he he's, he's so locked in. He's all about that action, you know, yeah. um, that you, you get to take the journey with him. And watching him and Bill. Um, that was a cool journey. From the qualifier, right, all the way to the uh -huh. Manhattan Beach semifinals. Yeah. You cheer for the guy. I cheer you for the guy. cannot love that story. Yeah, I cheer for the guy. I mean, he's on, the, on a select list of male players that I actually follow. You know, Trevor, okay. I follow. I think Trevor, the guy just watching him take his journey, back row, you know, defender, uh, front row blocker, mix and match, played with Reed, you know, one Manhattan Beach with Reed Pretty, played with his brother, played with this guy, played with John Mayer, and just watch him have Rosie, Sean Rosenthal-like success. You know, he's every time there's a finals or he's there with no, mat yep. with no matter who, you know. Um, so he's one of the other male players I follow. Um, for women... I've been, I love me some Chrissy Jones, man. She's, she came in as a 47 seed in Hermosa and made the semifinal, right. main draw semifinals. So, yeah. big fan of her. Um, I like Kelly Kalinsky and everybody else 
that's not American, the international scene, this podcast is too long. I'm not, not long enough for that. It's cause I'm a fan. Right. I follow, I follow Lupo. I follow, um, um, Ludwig, Laura Ludwig. I follow, uh, the Aussies, both Aussies now. I've been, I'm a big fan of them now. So, I mean, I, I right. mean, it's, it's weird because as a coach, you, you, you always feel like you got work to do, you know, or like, yeah. you know, did he, did he plant his foot or this, if this dude's a goofy foot, it, is he going to use yeah. both feet to jump and turn his shoulder like Lion King or Phil, right? Like Phil's a goofy foot. Um, yeah. So it's just, I'm always, I'm, I feel like I'm always, I can't shut the fuck up, you know, I'm like, <laughs> so I haven't, it, it, there's certain people or my, or my in our psyche that doesn't allow us to just sit back and be a fan and watch a good match. You're always yeah. an, analyzing, you know? Yeah, that's yeah. so true. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree with you there. Mm -hmm. um, just to touch back on Eric, I always wanted to, I never got a chance to tell him this because I don't see him that often. Well, but he watches this, so. He yeah, he impressed me the most out of, any guy up and coming training like when he first started training on the beach i remember playing against him and being like ah this guy's like average like i don't think i would lose to him in a tournament and um but he would constantly be like i'm i'm gonna make it like i'm committed i'm doing this i'm like okay like i believe you like let's see it like let's see what you can do and he got a lot worse before he got better with his arm swing especially like the time and energy he spent to perfect that arm um, which to him, it's definitely not perfect. Um, but he'll keep working on it. But I was always like, wow, that guy put in so much work and was willing to like shag balls for people or watch practices or just get involved in any aspect of the game. And it just shows you that if you have that mentality, you will make it. But yeah. it is a very special kind of mentality that he has to be able to push that consistently and not lose focus of what he wants to do. 100%. And I was always so impressed by that because that's really hard to do. That's not an easy task. And, no, and, um, and, and he had to change his swing to beat the bigger blocks. Yes. He had to, I mean, he had to do something about, it couldn't stay the same. And, and he knew that. And I don't know. I mean, I think because he, he's, of, of his kindness and his personality, it did make other people who knew the sport want to help him. You know, like Ricardo, yes, uh, the Brazilian coach, Ricardo, what are you doing right now? Uh, nothing. Why aren't you practicing? I don't know. Go practice. You know, so now yeah. all of a sudden he's got people, sure. you know, people coming at him saying this, if this is what you say you want to be, you know, be, you know, do who you are, be who you are. So, so yeah, man, I've, Glad, glad we talked about him. Let's um, let's take the rest of this podcast. We're going to talk about CPA, all right? Tell my educated audience what CPA means. CPA means certified public accountant, but not in this case. Floor is yours. CPA. Right. The abbreviation of CPA is uh, Championship Performance Advantage. Um, and it is owned by Chris P. Austin and uh, another integral woman to the facility, Lynn Flanagan, who is, if you do not know who she is, she is connected to Chris. If you ever see him at any tournament or any event, Lynn is there. Um, Man, I thought she was the auntie. She's there so much. <laughs> right? Yeah. So people know who she is, but they've never met her. Um, but yeah, she is the, I would say like the centerpiece that really holds that business together 
and keeps like Chris in check as well. Like she is the sounding board for Chris and gives him like a lot of ideas. And yeah, she's a very special lady. But um, at the facility, we offer volleyball and basketball privates, all levels. We offer volleyball classes, basketball classes. We have strength classes. We have jump classes, um, pretty much anything you could want that relates to sports. And we have what I think is the most special part of the facility is the mentality and IQ aspect. So you can book mentality sessions with any one of our trainers. And we will essentially, we want it to be led by the athlete or it doesn't have to be athletes either. It can be people who are looking for personal development in their life or business. And we're there to give them different perspective and just to be someone that will listen to what they have to say. Because I realize people don't have a lot of people that want to listen to, especially like personal aspects of their lives. And it's just a really special way to like connect with athletes and then show them a different side of the sport and like learn why they love the sport. Like if you don't know why you're doing something, I get why are you doing it? I mean, you have to like really press and like dig. And especially with like younger kids, like they sign up for the sport because they think it's fun. But then when they start playing it for a while, like, oh, where do you see yourself taking this anywhere? And um, those are the kinds of conversations we're having in those kinds of mentality sessions. And we really tried to like push to get more and more athletes to do that because they when they walk out of it, I have yet to have an athlete be like, oh, like I didn't get a lot out of that. Like they really get a lot out of like the 50 minute session that we have speaking with them. Um, but to move on from the mentality portion into the training portion and our trainers, our trainers are selected very carefully by Chris and he won't just pull in a trainer that he does not trust or know no, that he not can. Chris. <laughs> not Chris. Yeah. He is very selective um, in that regard. And it just leads to better quality all around. And like, if we need to move trainers around, let's say I have an athlete and I can't be there, we can fill with another one of our trainers because we all know the material that we're coaching. So there is a lot of similarity through it, but it's not cookie cutter the same. There still is personal touch through each trainer. And um, yeah, I love working there. It's uh, it's schedule is flexible. Chris, there, we're pulling in clients. Like right now we're actually, we need more trainers because we have so many people coming into our facility. Yeah. Dude. Um, I like, and I'm glad I had a chance to talk to you about this. Cause I had Chris Austin on the podcast and we didn't talk about it a lot. Like Chris and I like subject matter wise, because he's right. so well-traveled and this and that there were, you know, so many other things. And I think I spent a lot, I think I spent a lot, some of the podcasts trying to get that guy to laugh. And he, I don't think he smiled in a month. You know, you might, <laughs> you might see something that looks like this, <laughs> but that's it. Yeah. Um, man, there's nobody I respect more though, as far as someone who's so young and just know, handles his business like a real G shit, you know, like you have oh, to yeah. respect this guy that bets on himself. And just and he has something he wants to push, and he's good at it, and 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 he's doing it. And I'm glad, I'm really really glad the two of you are together. I'm, I think KJ's there too. Uh, KJ is not there. He 
him and Chris were working together a yeah. few years ago, but yeah, he's not yeah. in the facility. Actually, it was well. On another note, it was fun watching them play doubles. I thought they probably should have made more main draws than they should have, but you know, mm-hmm. I mean, between you and me, if I was their coach, I'm mean, with respect to whoever their coach. If I, if I was their coach, they would have been in the draw, um, probably every single qualifier. I just I, I watched a lot of video on them. I have, you know, I have, I do walk up to some players and say, hey, this is what you would ever like. Jake and like Earl Schultz, the guy with the afro, right. and Jake. Um, yep. Jake's the one that came to me. You know, and asked me if I could work with them or whatever, and because they right. tried to make the draw seven, six times, and and yeah. they picked me up that one time, boom, draw. So I, um, I didn't realize they made the draw that much. Yeah. Wow, they only made them. once. They only made it once. Okay. Yeah, I yeah. mean, in their, in their yeah. defense, like Chicago had Theo Brenner and Hayden, you had to beat the last round to make it. That's, I mean, I yeah. I don't feel right. <laughs> right, that, that doesn't feel right. <laughs> right, the hell are you doing down here, you know? Um, and one of the in Huntington, they had a Cuban team, Diaz and Gonzalez, which was, was really really hard to beat. And um, me, when I coached them in Hermosa, Budinger and I think Friend were the one scene that that got upset, right. and and we we came in as the eight and just snuck in. So, but that was their first draw. That was my birthday. So, you know, I, t- I talk about that a lot too, because look, I coached other players in the draw and me and John may, of course, work really closer together, but that was the first time in the, like AVP wise that I punched my own ticket. You know, like John Mayers right. was Stafford Slick and Billy Allen's coach. He's Betsy and Emily Davis yeah. coach, but I'm sorry, but they're already in the draw there. And, you know, I, I mean, you know, with respect to Rich Lamborn, right? Jake and Taylor were already fucking AVP champs and winners before he even, you know, even even right. sniffed the sand. So so to me, there was something really um, redeeming about being in the tent and you put you punched your own ticket, you know, like no, right. no one could say shit. I'm just a kid from yeah. Brooklyn, but hey, you know, I'm doing my thing, you know, but sure. a lot of it had to do with guys like. I mean, Greg is still my brother from another mother. Jeff Samuels, right. um, we coached together at in the summer. He's another one. Rob McLean, another brother from another mother. You, Hagen, you know, Hagen, who, who only had 24 hours in a day to do shit, made time to chill, talk to me and this and that. So whatever, I mean, whoever his partner is, I hope I wish them well. So Chris Flood, right. still neck deep in. And these are, these are the guys I'm plugging in. You know, as as we close close out this podcast, um, and but me and you eventually got to do this thing again because there's so many things that we touched on outside of volleyball, which seem like they're not connected to the sport, but they so much sure. are. Like like just bipolar and this and that. You know, like when I talk to you from the last year all the way up to this point, from you always strike me as someone who's comfortable in their own skin, but. It, but it's at the same time, it, t- it looked like it took a journey for you to get there, you know? Like the yeah. first thing I was going to ask you out the box, are you comfortable in your own skin? And they'd be like, what do you mean? And I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like shit, we just got started. We, we, we just got started. I'm not going to ask this. I shouldn't ask this question first. I'm a dick. So no, but you, you strike me as someone who's comfortable in their own skin, but something tells me that the journey for you to get there um, was a little bit more significant than than others, you know. Do I look comfortable with my own skin? Yeah. Oh yeah, hell yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, everyone. I, I'm not gonna say it the Brooklyn way. Like everybody could go kick rocks. I'm not a hater like that anymore. <laughs> I'm a South. I'm a South. I'm a California guy now. So, uh-huh. but you have to appreciate. Like I'm 50. Yeah, right. I had a journey that's different from yours, and anyone who listened to ours, we leave it up. To, we leave it up to them to decide if it's more or less significant. But, but for um, sure, 
but you look like you're in a really good place in your life and i'm really really glad you conquered some of these demons that i never knew about and I'm, and i want to per professionally and personally thank you for just leaving yourself vulnerable um because i speak for my audience we need you you know sure. thank you jason you. we need yeah. you so anything any place you want to plug you want to plug cpa like the site the website or this or that before we get out of here we got to do this again cole maybe yeah, a few months I'm down in. the line come in studio we'll you know with sean ladig we'll watch the fights oh, together man. or something you know yeah um, watch the you do have like a ufc watch party or something some chinese <laughs> but um go ahead plug in cpa or or yeah, or cole so no yourself yeah, to get involved with CPA, all you have to do is go to cpafacility.com and then everything will pop up onto that page. You can book us there. You can book mentality, volleyball lessons, basketball lessons, um, strength classes, junk classes. Actually, Earl runs our strength classes in the facility. Okay. And uh, yeah, yeah, that's all I would want to plug. Okay. Yeah. Wendy I Jones, mean, Wendy Jones, I can too? plug. Wendy Jones, yeah, so she was an owner at the facility, but she wanted to focus on her, um, I think it's the Optimist Journal. Yes. Is where she focuses mo most her of her attention. Her blogs. Yeah. Dude, they write like a novel, man. And, right. And, and um, she interviewed me, and we went two hours and 15 minutes. We're going to shrink it, but for everybody interested in, you know, my story that, that shaped the the idiot or smart person, the person you like or hate, um, anyone that wants to understand me a little bit better, we we got deep. And I mean, when, when I say deep, I mean prison ministries, homelessness, military service, yeah. just psh, all of these things that lead to, to where I am right now. But, but um, I guess... Dude, I guess that's it. I gotta, gotta, I gotta let a handsome guy go. <laughs> right on, Jason. So, what's your Instagram handle before we go? Uh, it's Cole underscore Fears. Cole underscore Fears. Got you. Yep. All right. So, Cole may love you, but I don't love you guys. In fact, I can't stand you. All yep. right. So, for all of you at home, for all of you on your iPad, for all of you on your iPhone, for all of you on your desktop, who runs the world? Old school, old school. For my man Cole Fears, I'm Jason DeBiz. This is episode 88 of the Option Podcast. And Woo. we're out. Come check out the Option Podcast on optiondb.com. It's also available on iTunes and Spotify and on YouTube under the NY Varsity Sports Handle. You're going to love what you hear.